There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome back to Deconstructive Critique. My name is Aaron Flam, and if you're interested in me, you can find my oeuvre at the webpage www.aaronflam.com. That's Aaron with one A and Flam with one M. My Twitter account is at Aaron Flam, and sometimes I can be found on Facebook, although not for the coming 25 days since I am blocked. Today's guest is Jens Gahnman. Jens is a frequent guest on this podcast, although normally we do this in Swedish. He is a Swedish musician, author and satirist whose satirical animated short film, To Make It Right, on YouTube was just taken down and labeled hate speech. Jens is originally from up north, which, when you're in Sweden, is very north indeed. It's not exactly at the Arctic Circle, but closer than comfort for most people. Jämtland, or as he calls it, the Appalachia of Sweden. If Swedes could vote for Trump, this is where they would live. I came here to interview Jens in his own backyard. Previously, he's been my guest in Stockholm. Jens is born and raised in the north, but went to study radio production in Stockholm after high school. The Dramatic Institute radio production program is our Juilliards. They only admit a few students every litter. They all go on to prestigious jobs in Swedish state media. Jens was typical for the type admitted. Young, leftist, and more than a little bit metrosexual. He went on to get a job as a satirist for the state radio youth channel and voted for the environmental party, as almost 80% of the employees in Swedish state media do, even though the party rarely gets more than 50% in an election. Increasingly, at the job, Jens noticed that the state media he worked for was ignoring several subjects, especially concerning gender, feminism, sexuality, the Israel-Palestine conflict, anti-Semitism, the war, that would be the second one, immigration, integration, and Islam. I myself could add narcotics and more, but I don't want to lose you. Jens noticed that not only was a lot of problems being covered up, he was working for the cover-up. 
He started a blog where he made satirical essays about the problems state and mainstream media were ignoring. Reports from the value abyss is a hard joke to translate into English, as is most of Jensen's comedy. You would have to follow Swedish politics closely, even for a Swede to appreciate all the nuances and underhand wit hidden in the half-hour short film about our current situation that was taken down from YouTube, for instance. To Make It Right tells the story of how the Swedish establishment in politics, media, academia and pop culture has handled each and every challenge, which is what we in Swedish call problems, to their own worldview. Told through cartoon caricatures of the individuals themselves, but using real quotes. So it's hard to see how it can be hate speech, considering that these quotes are from people who do nothing but signal their own virtue. The voiceover is read by Dr. David Eberhardt, a psychiatrist and author, and also a frequent guest on this podcast, but now labeled a peddler of hate speech. Swedes now get a feel of how Americans must have felt in the election between Trump and Hillary, or what a Brit must have felt when asked to choose between the EU and Brexit. We are faced with a choice between the traditional parties who have all failed miserably, lied to us, continue lying to us, and refuse to even admit to the problems that are plain for anyone with eyes to see, or vote against them. But that means voting for a party that up until very recently was neo-Nazi. And I wouldn't exactly say that they have dealt with their past, but then again, nor have the Social Democrats who supported Nazi Germany during the war while still clinging to the lie that Sweden was neutral during that same war. A lot of the problems Sweden is facing today can be traced back to not dealing with the guilt of the Second World War. Jens's documentary points this out, as have I repeatedly on this podcast. If you're abroad, you can't hear it. But the silence here is huge. The silence is always big, but it has never been this big. The lack of sound is truly deafening. It is the sound of the Swedish consensus shifting. I recognize it from the closing of the border in 2015. There is no real debate, hardly any discussion. It is just a big, silent shift, like a glacier carving into the sea. Sweden has never offered any surprises, politically or otherwise, but especially not politically. Sweden is social democratic, it was born out of social democracy, and it seemed until just a few years ago that that would always be the case. But a little over a year ago, on the 1st of May, Workers' Day in 2017, according to the Gregorian calendar, I started a little project labeled Crush Socialism. And since then, things have become increasingly absurd. Sweden has real problems. Retired people not being able to live on their pensions, unemployment with a clear ethnic divide, a failing welfare state, medical access is dropping, available treatments as well. Schools are failing. Violent crime is skyrocketing, so are gang rapes. Islamism has a firm foothold in the country. Islamists control parts of towns and have infiltrated established political parties. But from watching the coverage of the election or, or the debates, you wouldn't think so. They seem focused on completely different issues. And I don't believe it to be a conspiracy, rather incompetence or a a lack of correct information and an inability to deal with real problems after 250 years of peace and relative prosperity. But this is what has happened just the last week or so. And in a little more than a week's time, I hope to declare victory over socialism in Sweden. Victory over socialism won't be declared on Facebook 
however, because I have been blocked for 30 days. Like a medieval court or the trial of Joseph K. in Kafka, I have not been informed of the charges against me, just that there have been charges leveled against me. I cannot appeal since I have been blocked from making comments. When I log in, I see a message that reads, quote, Together we can counter fake news. We are removing fake accounts and are cooperating with fact checkers. End quote. They go on to inform me that they remove accounts, listen to, quote, signals from their community, end quote, and in, quote, some countries work with, quote, third-party fact checkers, end quote. Content they consider false is given a lower priority in the feed. I have no doubt that there are leftist activist groups mass-reporting political opponents, but I have no proof. And I don't know which, if any, rule I've broken. I have posted links to my own material, which I don't think is fake. They are my opinions, and I might be wrong, but they are still opinions that I hold for real. And I've tried to share a half-hour satirical animated film about the political situation in Sweden. The genius behind this film is Jens Gahnman, who I introduced earlier. And he published it on YouTube, but it was taken down within an hour and labeled hate speech. It is not hate speech. It is a satirical description of Swedish officialdom with authentic quotes from cartoon caricatures of our so-called leaders in politics and media. A blistering account of the incidents and policy consequences hidden from us and lied about by our own establishment. The film's name is To Make It Right, a catchphrase added after every quoted lie, but since it was perhaps too honest, it was taken down and labeled hate speech. To make it right. See, that's the joke that every lie is for your own good, to make it right. A friend's teenage son shared it on Facebook and got suspended as well, so that might be it. Facebook is a private company and may do as they please, but currently Facebook's market penetration in Sweden exceeds 50%. It is, in other words, a very large public forum. It is the largest public forum for political discussion in the country, a forum I am now shut out from. When I tried to pay for marketing of the latest episode of this podcast on Instagram to make up for, you know, the lost reach uh, on Facebook, the app told me that, quote, this promotion can't be created because the link has been blocked by our security systems, end quote. None of this comes as a surprise. Jonathan Lundqvist, head of Reporters Without Borders in Sweden and a previous guest on this podcast, warned about the development such as this on this podcast and in a large article in the Daily Dagens Nyheter. Swedish government officials, as well as mainstream media, which is subsidized by the government, have held talks with Google and Facebook, specifically about its subsidiary YouTube and Golden channels closed. Other times, anonymous people at Google decide there is no chance of appeal. And I know it is easy to brush this off as a conspiracy or paranoia, but then Swedish state television flagship show, Our 60 Minutes, Agenda, used the last 15 minutes of their 44-minute TV hour to publicly brand Hanif Bali, a member of parliament for the moderate party and an outspoken critic of the Swedish system, an alt-right collaborator. Hanif Bali is nothing of the sort. Swedish state media is tasked with being objective, even though the show's name is Agenda and the show so obviously has an agenda. The piece is pure character assassination. They claim, and I shit you not, that Hanif Bali's tweeting is a quote, threat to liberal democracy, end quote. That Hanif Bali, by retweeting a meme of himself as a character from the computer game Call of Duty at war with the Daily Dagens Nyheter, is threatening the entire Western alliance. 
The piece starts with the exceptionally leading question, quote, is Hanif Bali a threat to democracy, end quote. But the conspiracy theory they weave out of this from the outset biased question is completely insane. According to Swedish state television, Hanif Bali might be inspired by the alt-right because they use memes. And since Hanif Bali has shared memes, not alt-right memes, mind you, just memes, he is enabling the alt-right to take over the world and usher in global apartheid. Yep, I know how it sounds, but I remind you that I'm just the messenger here. This is the story Swedish state television is running with. To prove it, they interview the leaders of the Swedish alt-right movement who have never been happier, because they were tiny and want attention, and SVT, state television, willingly gives it to them, to build up a threat and scare their own population into silence. Extremists always want to eliminate the center, the gray areas in between extremes where most of life takes place. They do this so that nothing remains but the final battle, pure and untainted by doubt. Swedish state television don't want to face Hanif with arguments or critical questions. They want to brand him a Nazi and be done with it. For that, they need Nazis, a Nordic alt-right willingly obliged. Win-win for Swedish state television and the Nordic alt-right, lose-lose for Hanif Bali and democracy. The thing is that Swedish state television has already written an article about the incidents which caused the scandal between Dagens Nyheter and Hanif Bali which the same state television then use out of context from their own original text in and in contradiction to their own article from a week before to make Hanif Bali into someone who provokes Breivik-type violence against members of the press. By associating Bali to the alt-right, they are implying that he is a Nazi and a racist. If you're wondering what kind of Swede would name their kid Hanif Bali, the answer is no one. Bali came to Sweden as a refugee from Iran when he was a child. Hanif Bali is a moderate, an outspoken one, and merciless on Twitter, but he stands for pluralistic, secular, democratic states. He is not even anti-immigration, he is just against this complete failure of an immigration system. As a former immigrant himself, he would know. Instead, he is vilified in state media and media close to the government, thrown under the bus by his coalition partners, and not even half-heartedly defended by his own party. Hanif Bali has also been a frequent guest on this podcast, just like Jens Gahnman. And I know this sounds crazy enough as it is, but then, just three days later, Swedish state television's clusterfuck on Hanif, they air a documentary about the alt-right in Sweden. The angle is... Are the alt-right a threat to democracy? They have interviewed Richard Spencer in America. They have had a reporter gone undercover for six months in the group with nothing more to show for it than a few inappropriate drinking songs and shears. But the only evidence to prove that this group is an enormous threat is provided by the group themselves. In the interviews, no attempt to contradict them or disprove them is made. And most embarrassing of all, when they present this to the Swedish FBI, Sapo, and ask them if they think it's a threat, the analyst from Sapo says, no, it's not an immediate threat. At the end of the documentary, they still manage to edit in yours truly. That's me. Yeah, me. And Alexander Bard, another frequent guest on this podcast. The footage was filmed at an event this summer at a political meet in Sweden, open to the public and anyone interested in politics of any ideology. The audience consisted of everyone and anyone, and among the visitors were the Swedish alt-right, followed by 
Swedish state television's camera team. They edit in one of the alt-writers asking me a question and Alexander speaking about freedom of speech and memes, uncommented without explaining what it is you're seeing to make it seem like me and Alexander are at some kind of alt-right meet, that we are leaders of the alt-right movement and that it's big. I cannot speak for Alexander, but I'm not alt-right. And even though I cannot speak for Alexander, I know he's not alt-right. He's a gay philosopher, and I'm a liberal, secular, atheist Jew, and the grandchild of Holocaust survivors. I have publicly many times said that I think Swedish state television should be closed down because it is weird that we are forced to pay for our own indoctrination. I have criticized Swedish state television for covering up Sweden's support of Nazi Germany during World War II. Instead, they continue to claim that they were neutral. I have criticized them for lying about narcotics, Islamism, feminism, and the Israel-Palestinian conflict. I have accused them of being leftist and having a leftist bias. All these claims have been supported by proof, mostly from their own production, and the response has been silence. And it is still silence, just a passive, aggressive, unmotivated and uncommented, indecent edit in a failed documentary about an imaginary Nazi threat that doesn't exist. I am a person who has criticized Swedish state television for being anti-Semitic, sexist, incompetent and completely incapable of being objective. And now they respond by once again proving that they are wholly incapable of remaining objective, or for that matter, competent. Real journalists who have worked hundreds of man-hours on a project that didn't pan out would let it go, or publish that nothing was found. Swedish state television instead use it to prove my critique of them. That they are now calling a metrosexual hillbilly, that's Jens Gahnman, a Kurdish dwarf lord, that's Hanif Bali, a homosexual philosopher pop star, that's Alexander Bard, and the grandchild of Holocaust survivors, a liberal atheist Jew, that's me, Nazis, just proves that they have completely lost it. I should be mad that my own state television that I grew up with have worked that and paid for mostly against my will, that's true, but that it tries to label me a Nazi should make me livid. But I'm not, nor am I surprised. This is an obvious sign of desperation. They are panicking, making me even more right than before that these people are not to be trusted, especially not in a crisis. They are biased and care more for themselves than their viewers, who also pay their salaries, and they know it, and they know that their viewers can see it. They are right to panic. Soon, they will be out of work. And it's probably going to be hard to get a new job with propagandists for authoritarian regime media on your resume. The Potemkin village around the famous welfare state is crumbling. The social democrats have been accused by the opposition of dirty tricks. Their election material in Arabic, disseminated in immigrant-dense areas, lie about the moderate party as well as the Sweden democrats, saying that they will outlaw halal and close down mosques. The Social Democrats have long been suspected of importing immigrants and making them dependent on subsidies as voting cattle. This adds to the distrust even though the Social Democrats claim it is an isolated incident of low-level functionaries. True is that several local candidates were forced to resign from the race and the party. And this happened in at least five cities. 
According to Financial Times, false claims had been posted in Arabic and Somali. The lies were, among others, that right-wing parties were accusing Muslim parents of crimes to take their children away from them and that they wanted to remove citizenship from anybody who arrived in Sweden after 1970. All of this untrue. The Swedish government is trying hard to limit freedom of speech. If they get to stay in power, there is high likelihood that this podcast will be used against me as proof of treason or espionage. Yes, I'm serious. The noose is tightening and the threats come from all directions. Thankfully, in the end, none of this will matter. Because come the 9th of September, the Sweden Democrats... The upstart little Nazi party that could will probably become the biggest party. The Social Democrats, all established parties, will be voted out. And it will have nothing to do with me, or Alexander, or Hanif, or Jens, or the alt-right. Partly, sure, it's because no one has been more vilified by the establishment as much as the Sweden Democrats. And as such, voting for the Swedish Democrats is the only way to show your disapproval. But mostly, they will be voted out for failing miserably with healthcare, with the education system and immigration, for covering it up and for lying about it. Unfortunately, this podcast was recorded before Jens was censored and his work labeled hate speech, but it still gives you an inside look of how Swedes are thinking about what is going on in their country at the moment. Enjoy. Welcome back to Deconstructive Criticism. I'm sitting here with uh, Jans Gahnman. He's a uh, Swede, but we're going to do this podcast in English because, you know, it annoys the fuck out of you. So um, you had some sort of schedule, didn't you, for us to go to, through? To talk about today. Yeah. And I think we need to start um, about a year ago when Trump said his infamous, look at what happened in Sweden last night. Who would believe it's Sweden? Uh, because that was the starting point for... A lot of international pundits, uh, and that gave them a reason to start talking about Sweden in a derogatory way. And we became famous for having huge problems with integration. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, let me just stop you for one second. I think we should start even earlier. Really? Yes, because you've started at a point where you said something here. You said they felt after Trump that they had a... Uh, that they could say bad things about they it. They could do it so before. So we were, we were famous before. For a very small country at the edge of the world with almost no impact on world affairs, we're very famous. That's true. That's and we're true. famous for a very special reason, aren't we? Which is? The Swedish state? We're the best country in the world. That's the most prog progressive, the most equal, uh, the most gender neutral. Yeah. Yeah. True. And, and, and that's why journalists after Trump felt that they could Criticize right. us. It was, op it was open season on Sweden from that point, and we became the focal point for criticism that had to do with failed uh, integration and, and crime, rising crime, and, and we became the quote-unquote rape capital of the world. But, but what Trump said was essentially a starting point for pundits like Paul Joseph Watson, Stefan Mol Molinet, what's his name? You know, Molinier. Exactly, Molinier. Uh, French surname, and is uh, Tommy Lahren and a bunch of other guys said it's okay to badmouth Sweden. So that was a, a starting point in essence. But I think we need to set the record straight there because these people said that Sweden was almost a um, Orwellian society. 
where journalists lied and politicians lied, and we had huge problems with, with like I said, immigration and, and integration. Uh, but it's not as bad as they said. It's worse. Yeah, it so is. So we need to set the record straight there. And I think we need to start talking about Swedish state television oh, but, but, and radio. Yes. Because that's a, a key point here. But I, I think we should mention, before we move on to Swedish state television and radio, which we always move on to, so I'm not very worried we'll end up there anyway. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> we should start with after Trump uh, said his famous words about last night in Sweden. Mm. All the Swedish newspapers went out, he's crazy, nothing happened last night. And the night after he had said that... There was riots and car... Carbecues, Carbecues. That's a that's, that's a actually, new word. Yeah. That's a new word, and it's yeah. a good one. The the thing is, we need to explain this. At what a lot of people thought that that Trump was referring to some sort of terrorism act, and that's not true. He was bumbling as usual, and what he was referring to referring to when he said, "Look at Sweden last night," was that he apparently had said he had uh, seen a segment on Fox News, and I think it was when when a Jewish documentary filmer named. I think it's Adam Horowitz, I'm not sure, uh, had been to Sweden and uh, done a documentary from a Jewish standpoint about the, the situation in Swedish suburbs. And that was what Trump was referring to, not the terrorist act. But in Sweden, the journalist immediately spun that into that Trump thought, Trump the idiot thought that we had had a terrorist act in Sweden. That was never the case. But like you said, the next day, the very next day, It's like God wanted to prove a point. There was huge riots in one of the suburbs of Stockholm. And these are not uncommon here in Sweden no, anymore. No, no, no. It happens and, every night. Yes. And it happened just last night, actually. As we're talking about this, it happened last night. Aaron has to kill his phone there. Yeah. So uh, there's been like, I think, 16,000 burned cars for the past 10 years, something like that. Yes. This is st statistics. That so that's between up. three and four a day. Yeah, it uh, happens all over. And, and Sweden is a very small country. We should point that out. True. And it, it's not a very... Uh, I mean, not at least when it comes to the urban areas, not everyone has a car. Exactly. And Sweden is about as big as a mid-sized American state with 10 million people. So yeah. if, if you have like three or four car burnings every night, all year round, that's a lot of cars that, that, that someone is For burning. a decade. Yeah. But the journalists in Sweden, they talk about this problem as if the cars sort of it was spontaneous combustion. Yes. It's not like someone set fire to the cars, the cars suddenly burst into flames. Because of socioeconomic variables. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's what happened, and Trump became the bad guy once again, and the pundits jumped all over this and started talking about Sweden in a way that we've never heard before. And that really bothered Swedish politicians and, and, and journalists because they are very nervous about the public image around the world. You know, like you said, Sweden is famous for IKEA, the Swedish sin, the blonde women, uh, social progress, progress stuff like that. And suddenly, we look like a, a shithole country. To use another of, of Trump's Sweden's, Sweden's brand is one of its uh, uh, biggest assets. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's very important to us to have a reputation around the world. It's been that since Olof Palme went all around the world preaching about Swedish socialism and trying to teach the rest of the world how to, you know, go about their business. And now. 
now we're in a period in time where Sweden has become sort of the scapegoat for failed integration. Yeah. So that was a really big deal for the Swedish politicians, and they fought tooth and nail to oppose that picture. And that's why they hate Trump so much, because he merely pointed out something that to a lot of Swedes was, was already obvious. Yes. So, yeah. So, do you want to talk about Swedish state television and radio no, for a while? No, after uh, Trump uh, said that about Sweden... Um a bunch of Swedish photographers decided right. to disprove Trump. Right, good. Uh, and we have museums here, and in Sweden, museums are owned and, and uh, funded by the state. Right. And so we have in Stockholm, we have a very popular museum. It's called the Museum of Photography. It's the only popular museum because Swedes can't appreciate art if it's not, uh, you know, an exact a representation of what they see in their daily lives. So right. they love photography and they go to see the photography museum. Right. Uh, and a lot of photographers in Sweden, famous photographers, got some sort of, uh, I, I suppose, assignment from the government or from the museum to produce pictures to disprove I'm Trump's sure, image of Sweden. I'm not sure that's entirely true, but they, what they did was, was that they launched a Kickstarter campaign and they wanted to to uh, put together a book with pictures about Sweden. I think they called this the book Last Night in Sweden. And that book's purpose was to show the, re- the world that the Trump was wrong, that everything was A-OK and, and fine and dandy in Sweden. And uh, I was personally, as a former journalist, I now call myself an activist, which is much more accurate. These photographers, these activists, these journalists, whatever you want to call them, they're uh, if, if they have some sort of obligation as journalists, it's not to help the government show what a great country we're living in. I mean, traditionally, journalists and, and, and photojournalists, they seek out the seediest part of town, uh, show the poor people, show the backside, the underbelly, the, underbelly, the seedy underbelly of any society that they live in. And these journalists did exactly the opposite. They helped the government to maintain and perpetuate the image of Sweden as a very successful country. So, And with those words, I think we can move on yeah. into Swedish state television right, and radio. Right. And these were like private or freelance photographers that did this. You're a conspiracy theorist, so of course... I'm not a conspiracy theorist <laughs> No, but you believe all. the government gave them this, uh, that the government told them to do this. I, I don't think that's I'm not, true. I, I'm not saying they told them to do this, but I, I, I mean, I've gotten calls from cultural institutions right, run right. and funded by the government because they've gotten some sort of document from a politician that says, this year you're supposed to work for promoting democracy or, or gender, gender equality yeah, yeah, or, right, right, right. or Jewish heritage or and then they then they look at their list and they're like ah we have a Jew here let's call Aaron right yeah the, the token Jew yeah yeah right so it's entirely possible that the government in some way inspired or told these journalists to could could you please put together a book that 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 counters what and I'm definitely Trump said. not a conspiracy theorist <laughs> I study conspiracy theorists but which as, sometimes but Aaron, make you sound like one Aaron you know that right now as of uh, uh, the summer of 2018, we are essentially living in a huge conspiracy in Sweden. And that sounds very... And we have been our entire lives. Right, so that right. doesn't really surprise me. And, and and that conspiracy is a real conspiracy. It is, it is. And all conspir- conspiracy theorists say that. This one is real. But we no, live but in Sweden. So we the listeners, I mean, they have to trust us here on this and, one. But, but, it's an open conspiracy. It's complete. Uh, it's out in the open. Yes. They don't even li- try to lie about it. No. The politicians and the journalists in Sweden. Everyone agrees. Yeah. This is the way to go. Right. 
We're of course, they have no other information to base that decision on because that have, has been taken away from the populace. That's but, true. That's but, true. Uh, yeah. But I think we have to explain to the listeners that are not from Sweden that, that Sweden is a very sick country. And I love my country. That's not, I'm not trying to badmouth my country just for the sake of it. But things have turned to the worse here in Sweden the past five years in a way that's really hard to, to explain to an outsider, right? Uh, yes, Wouldn't and you I agree think about that? I, I absolutely agree. But I, I also want to add that I think for you it's the last five years because you live here. We're right now in Östersund, which is way up in the north. Way up in yeah, the yeah, north. Yeah. It's uh, um, it's close to Norway, basically. Right. It is. And uh, and uh, this is a uh, in by Swedish standards a, a medium-sized town. Yeah, it's a yeah. small town. It's, it's a, a small town. town. Yeah. So, so when, when uh, you get a lot of immigrants here, it's really noticeable for you. But it's not only about immigrants. It's about how we discuss gender equality, like you said, uh, uh, the the climate change, all these issues. narcotics. Narcotics has been polarized in a way here in Sweden the past five to ten years that's unparalleled. I, I don't think that people outside Sweden understand what a crazy country this has become. And of course, when I say this, a lot of people are going to say on the left, and I come from the left myself, so I know their tactics. They're going to say that, you know, uh, you're, an, I think the word is an alarmist. Yes. Uh, you're, you are uh, a, a Trump, a hanger on to Trump's rhetoric. And that's not true because I've lived here for the whole, uh, my whole life. So I have something to compare with. And granted, I mean, Sweden's been a crazy country in many ways, crazy successful in the 60s and the 70s. But this is the only country, we have to point this out, this is the only country where the ruling party, in this case the Social Democrats, for two elections, for the past hundred years, they've had over 50% of the votes in two elections. I can't remember it was... And what other country in the world has a populace that voluntarily... Yeah, dictatorships, and experts have pointed that out. And, and you have to, you know, the Social Democrats, they're very good at what they're doing. And I think the last time they had over 50% of the votes was 1968. That's a while ago, but it's still, I mean, modern times. So in many ways, we're an extreme country. And to get back to the Swedish state radio and television, they have played such a key role in the development of things in Sweden. And I think we should focus for a while to talk about that because that's, That's an extreme situation that outsiders like the international pundits like Paul Joseph Watson and the other ones, they don't understand how extreme it is. Really. So let's guide the listeners through that. And I'll try to explain. So like Swedes are uh, not West. They're not West. This is not a Western country. That's true. This looks like a Western country on the surface, but yeah. it's not a Western country. It's a collectivist country that belongs to Eastern Europe. Sweden and Norway is not a part of the continent as much as they are a sort of a peninsula that grows out of Siberia. Right. And you mean traditionally, traditionally. and culturally, we're not a part of Western the West. Europe. Yes. We, we are, are not. part of, of, of the East. We were fa- uh, the Danes and the Norwegian Vikings faced West, and right. they become more individualist, and they came, uh, they came into the, the pale of the Anglo-Saxon world. But Sweden was boxed in with the Baltics. So we were facing East. And a lot of uh, the trade routes from Constantinople went uh, up the rivers from Constantinople into deep inland Russia. Volga. Uh, yes, for instance. Uh, and then the Rus, who founded Russia, uh, they had a, an empire there and they used the Vikings' uh, trade route to trade with north of Europe. And, and that was uh, uh, the first... Uh, Golden Age of Sweden, right. uh, the, the the trade routes of Northern Europe. About a thousand years ago. Yes, and they're 
so they're deeply collectivist. And now what happened is Sweden is so far away that it wasn't affected by uh, the rise of Rome. It wasn't affected by the fall of Rome. It wasn't affected by the rise of the Catholic Church. It became Catholic the second last country in in Europe, I think, to be christened. Wow, is that true? Yes, after Latvia. Right. Uh, so Sweden got Christian around 1100s, and it only held for a few hundred years, and never really, and we, we belonged to the pale of the Roman Catholic Church, but we weren't really in the pale, so we weren't really affected by that as much either. Right. What really formed Sweden was Martin Luther, uh, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation in the Christian Church, because Gustav Vasa, who was the first uh, true monarch of the first time Sweden was a unified country, right. he saw before any other monarchs in the world what he could do with Martin Luther's uh, theses. What he did was he took it as a chance to get rid of the church, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, but also as a way to better control his subjects. Because what he did was he took the Protestant Reformation, he applied it to Sweden, uh, which made all the churches his, Instead of uh, Rome's, yeah, yeah, and and including all the land and all the assets. and all the land and right. all the assets, and that's what we learn in the history books in Sweden that Gustav Vasa took the churches because of the treasure, but that's not the treasure in the church. It's not the buildings. It's not the land. It's not the silver or gold they have up at the, where the priest stands. The, uh, altar, the, the altar. The altar. Right. Uh, the, the, so what did he want from the church? He wanted names. The names? Yes, because the priests were the only ones who knew how many uh, people lived in the country. They yeah, had yeah, the names the church of, books. Yeah, yeah they yeah. had the names of everyone who was born, everyone who was married, everyone who died. And all and the if bastards. You have, and yeah, all the bastards. And all the bastards. And if you have the names of people, yeah. that is when taxation becomes a real possibility. Oh, I see. So I that see. is the treasure of the church, the names. Right. And, uh, and, and he used the church uh, to construct the oldest and greatest bureaucracy the world has ever seen. True. And he made the churches not into Christian houses of worship as much as he made them into schools for Swedishness. Right. And, and, and he had a program of isolation that he had planned would last forever because Sweden didn't have to fight if it didn't want to. We were too isolated. All right. So from that point, what you're saying is from that point, the churches in Sweden became a bureaucratic hubs, sort of. From so, that, so he could start Gustav, to tax people in a more in a more effective way. Yes, Gustav Vasa was a brilliant brilliant administrator. What he did was he took control of Sweden. He took the nobility. We had a very weak nobility compared to the rest of uh, the world at that time, and he made them his first bureaucrats. All right. So he he used the nobility, and then he used the priests, and he melded these together into a, like a like some sort of bureaucratic seed. Right. Um, and. Uh, this created a tradition in Sweden of a monolithic state with a very an authoritarian state with one monarch at the top, and it's a very collectivist culture. Right, but not communism. Uh, no, but sort of. No, communism. not sort of. I mean, if you have an egalitarian uh, collectivist collective, uh, then uh, egalitarians want everyone to be. Uh, as much uh, alike one another as possible. Yeah. Uh, and the only way to do that is to take away everything that sets you apart from others. And property, of course, is one of those things. So, uh, But you have to have property. And then egalitarian communists, I suppose, they always figure, well, let's just 
make one or as few people as possible control the property and they get to say who gets what. And right. yeah, right. and then you end up with this extremely stratified um, society, co- uh, yeah, society right. where you have a lot of poor people at the bottom and then just a very few yeah. rich people at the top. And, and if we skip forward to and today... I'm, no, right. no, no. There's you just, a f- just a few more things okay, I want okay, to point okay, out. Okay, because sorry, sorry. Uh, So that started the tradition of central authority in Sweden and bureaucracy. But there's, uh, we didn't only miss the rise of Rome, the fall of Rome, the rise of the Catholic Church and the fall of the Catholic Church. We also missed the Renaissance. And the Second World War. Yes. Right. Well, not exactly. But we stayed out of it. We were quote-unquote neutral. Yeah. Yeah. We were a Nazi country and we supported Germany in every way except yeah, we did. with fighting in them. In a very shameful way. Yes. But, but uh, historians will tend to say that we were so weak at the time, we had, to, we had no choice. We to, had no to explain what Sweden was like in the 30s and 40s, I like to tell people that, well, you know how good we are at gender today. Right. We were just as good at race biology back then. Yeah, we yeah. were, definitely. Okay. The best in the world. Right. Yes, and now we're today. True. And so, skipping forward from Gustav Vasa and the, the collective society he created with heavy taxations and all that stuff, you could say that state television and state radio these days is an outgrowth and a logical conclusion of the kind of society we've had for 500 years. What people need to know about state radio and state television in Sweden is that they have a huge annual budget of... I think it's about plus 800 million dollars a year. And that's a pretty big uh, operation for such a small country. It is. It is. And state radio and state television, television, they form the debate, the public discourse in Sweden in a way that I, I think there's, it's unparalleled. It is. You, what the listener has to understand, if we were to explain it, that Sweden, uh, the Swedish government, whoever ruled Sweden, had an had a complete uh, monopoly on information. Right. Uh, up so until 1990. Up until satellites and cable TV. 19, yeah, right. Yeah. Commercial television and commercial radio was launched about 25 years ago. Ni- d- years just ago. one year after the fall of the Berlin Wall. Right, right. Yes. And we still live in, in a, we are still very, uh, I think the word is colored by, because we grew up in a society where we had like two television channels and, and three radio channels. Yeah. And, and we, they were all government. Yeah, they were government funded, tax funded, really. They, you call it a fee, but that's a lie. It's a tax. You have to pay it. You have and, to and pay you, it. you usually say, you sometimes say that, that we're paying for our own indoctrination. And that's we're exactly, forced to pay for it. We're forced to pay for this. Mm. But for some reason, they have separated that from the state budget. So it's a separate fee or tax that we have paid up until now. In theory, they're supposed to be independent, but they always run out of money. So the right. government every year still has to push in a lot of extra money. Yeah, it saves so, their assets. Yeah. And, and it's not optional. You have to, to pay this and you cannot choose not to do it. So, and, and the problem is, as I see it, that they get the same budget every year. No matter how shitty they are, what they produce doesn't matter. They get the same budget every year. So it's like, what, what's the, the American equivalent is called... PBS, no public access. PBS. Exactly. It's it's PBS on steroids in a way that people that don't live in Sweden can't understand. And that wouldn't be a pro- as much of a problem if, if it wasn't for the fact that most journalists that work on state television or radio are very left-leaning. 
They're very left-leaning, and, they I, think I, and I don't think most of them are journalists. They're not. They're activists. Yes. And, and the problem because is they that, have attended journalist education in Sweden, yeah. controlled by the state government. So they're brainwashed. Yeah. That's what you're saying, essentially. The problem is that a lot, a lot of these people, my former colleagues, because I freelance for, for state television and state radio. For years. For, for years, for decades. For and you're decades. quite famous. I'm not, but I've, I've done this. So I know this system from the inside, and I know that a lot of these people, they don't do it out of malice. Malice. Because they think that that being very left-leaning, that's actually being center of the spectrum. And also good. And it's good. That's The, the word left, left means good in Sweden. It means good, and that's the normal. So they, it's really hard to explain to these people that if you have that starting point, you are, you are so skewed to begin with that you cannot ever be a neutral reporter of what's happening in Swedish society and to to and and their biggest flaw I'd say is not that they're lying straight out straight out lying about things but it's lying by omission and we have a perfect example of that this day as we're recording this the state uh, radio reported that there's suddenly quote-unquote suddenly a huge problem in Swedish schools with anti-semitism and I listened to the report it's a couple of minutes long And they fail to mention at any point what this is really about and what the, the source of this anti-Semitism Because is. you don't even go to school anymore, so it's not your fault. No, it's not my fault. <laughs> and, when I, and when I grew up, if the teachers told us, today we're going to study the Second World War, we're going to read about Hitler and how he tried to exterminate the Jews, that was not a problem. You know, we learned about that. We should have learned more about Stalin and communism. We didn't. But anyway... For a reason. For a reason. Yeah, right. So, uh, in this... A report today, they fail to mention where this anti-Semitism comes from. And everyone in, in Sweden knows by, by now, I mean, out on the streets, if you talk to anyone on the street, they know that there's a big conflict between Jews and Arabs. And we've had a lot of people from the Middle East coming to Sweden. So, and I know teachers personally. To be fair, to it's be, not Jews and Arabs. It's Jews against the world. Okay, Jews <laughs> against the world. Uh, right. Yeah. Sorry. Pretty much, But actually. I know a lot of teachers, and they've been telling me for years now that when they try to talk about Hitler and the Jews and the final solution and all of that, uh, there's these huge discussions, and it's usually young male Arab pupils that say that this is a conspiracy, this is, what do you call it, Zog. The Zog conspiracy, Zionist you know, occupation this, government, exactly, exactly, and they. So some of these teachers have chosen very, very cowardly, but I can understand why they choose to to skip that part of, of history. But now the politicians have realized that anti-Semitism is a huge problem in Swedish schools. So they are they have decided to launch a special campaign to teach Swedish students about this. But state radio and state te television. They lie by omission, and they never, almost never, uh, talk about publicly what the problem is really rooted in, and that's a huge problem. And that's a perfect example of how Swedish media works. And if you if you interview someone that works at state television, because you sent me the article and I yeah, read yeah, it, yeah. And, right. and there's nothing in there's it. nothing. In there's it. just uh, suddenly every kid in Sweden just fucking hate Jews. I know, and and the, I think that the journalists themselves they think that they're doing this in a very skillful way. Do you way. think they understand? I think they do because my journalist colleagues, their biggest fear is, quote-unquote, again, playing into the hands of fascists and, and the right-wings and the conservatives and, and the Sweden Democrats, which, which is uh, our latest 
party that's this, we're recording this a couple of weeks before the election and everything points to that they're going to do a, a, a super election they're going to be probably be the biggest party in Sweden they're essentially the new social democrats but in Sweden they have been labeled fascists so they have been labeled fascists yeah, and when and they, they take have, power they will be the new normal and no one will ever talk about how they mistreated the Swedish Democrats ever again. Because in Sweden, there is no way that you can have a continuous discussion with lots of opinions. There's only one opinion, and that's the consensus. So true. if you want a new opinion, you have to replace the old consensus. True. That's true. That's what's going to happen. Well, that's a separate discussion, really. Uh, we were talking about how state radio and state yeah. television are constantly lying to the people about things that are really important. If you want to understand what's happening in Sweden and why a party like the Sweden Democrats are growing, you have to know about, for instance, the problem with anti-Semitism in Malmö, which is the third biggest city in, in Sweden, uh, where there's a lot of conflicts between Jews and Arabs, and international media has reported on this problem for many, many years. Uh, in Sweden, media want to protect the listeners and the viewers from these, these as they think, horrible news that we should really not talk about. <laughs> Only journalists and, and politicians should know about this. Yeah. So they can sort of solve the problem without the people knowing. But the problem is they're not solving this problem. These problems with anti-Semitism and racism is growing. And when I say racism in Sweden, a lot of people would say that we have a huge problem with racism in Sweden and, and it's between Swedes and immigrants. But in reality, the racism between different groups of immigrants, it's a big, bigger problem in Sweden. But most people, especially those who just listen to state radio and watch state television, they will never get that, that information. So they are living in a bubble, essentially. But and there's, uh, there's uh, also another thing I want to talk about uh, that I want to uh, sort of stick into the conversation here. Because uh, what you have to understand about Sweden, Denmark and Norway is that they're corporativist systems. They're group-based political systems, the same that Mussolini and Hitler had. Yeah. So uh, Mussolini and Hitler's uh, experiments didn't work for a plethora of reasons. Uh, but when it comes to Denmark, Sweden and Norway, all these systems worked. And they worked because they had an incredibly homogenous population. Right. Like, ridiculously homogenous. Yeah. It's uh, almost... Uh, let me uh, just... Uh, you have a book here called The New Totalitarians, Totalitarians uh, by Robert uh, Roland Humford. Right. And and it's supposed to be this classic book that's really hard to get uh, well, you I, I, if, if, if you're listening and you're from the States or England, I don't think you'll have a problem. But uh, in Sweden... But in Sweden, you can't get a hold of this book. Is and that because this is some sort of conservative Bible or, or something like, you know, the Fountainhead? Or well, Roland Humphrey has been accused of being a leftist activist. So, oh, really? uh, but but I, he does write about polar explorers. So it's, yeah, I don't know, it's anyone's guess. He's a contrarian at heart, I think. And uh, But mostly this is a... If uh, what I told you last time, if the CIA had written a document on how to deprogram the Swedish population, that would be the one. This, this would be the program. The, the new totalitarians. Okay. Yes. So this is really you think it's about Sweden in a way when you read it, but it's not. It's about something else from the beginning, I guess. No, this is about Sweden. It, it is. This is only really? about. This is only about Sweden. Oh, so this guy he traveled through Sweden. And, this and guy was a, a reporter, a journalist for I think. 
the observer or the spectator, I'm unsure, for, for years right. in, in Scandinavia. He was their uh, Scandinavian correspondent. Right, okay, okay. So, so he lived here and he, he also um, wrote about winter sports. So then you have to go to Scandinavia. Okay, quite so he lived time. in Sweden for what period of time? Or during, quite, quite a period of but time. But during which period in, in time? Uh, 60s, 70s. Late, 60s, late 70s. 60s, uh, early 70s. All right, this right. book came in 71. Okay. So Swedish politicians, don't, but anyway, they so, don't like this book. No, so so it. they're like Swedes are because of the Gustav Vasa and the indoctrination and the collectivism. Swedes uh, up until 1946, when the war ended, was one of the most homogeneous p- uh, populations in the world. Not only uh, physically, they were incredibly physically homogeneous, but they were also culturally uh, very homogeneous. They right. thought the same. They felt the same. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And there was nothing to talk about. Yeah. Which is why Swedes celebrate silence. We do? In what way? Well, we sing about, we sing about how much we love silence in our national anthem. That's how much we love silence. Like the sound of silence with our gar- Simon Garfunkel? Du tysta, du glädjerika. Yeah, yeah, you have to translate that. That's from our national anthem. Yeah. Oh, silent, oh... Joyous North. Joyous North. Yeah, and I like silence myself, but... <laughs> But not in the way you're talking about. Not. And, you know, that's the big par- paradox that the state radio and state television see as their... Uh, that really silence is their most important task to, to not... To not, uh, not, talk, not talk about certain not things. Not talk too loud, not ca- cause a ruckus about anything and do everything in a very childish manner because yeah. if you listen to Swedish radio these days especially program one as we call it that's supposedly the, the, the channel for grown ups the adult channel there's no music only talk at all times news culture news culture but, but the way they talk to us listeners is as if we were children and it's very creepy and it's getting worse every day I can I feel These days, when I listen to state radio, that I become dumber because they dumb down everything to a level where it's... I don't know if it's... You know, when I was 16, I took a conscious decision, as most teenagers do when they're <laughs> rebelling, but I took a conscious decision to stop consuming uh, Swedish culture. Already at 16? Yes, altogether, because what they have... Um, what's the word for that? It's um, contagious. Yeah, yeah, contagious, yeah. It contagious and it defiles you. So I stopped. I actually started uh, consuming Swedish culture again like 
three years into my stand-up career when I realized that all my references are American and English. And they're outdated. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah. well, well I, I can still uh, do some, some jokes about Bill yeah. Cosby. <laughs> yeah, and you found yesterday when we went to bookstore, you found his old autobiography. Well, it's it's one of the uh, three books about life. And yeah. it was called what? Love, love Life. Love Life, yeah. Where he teaches you about that's, that's ironic, you know, how to have a great love a, life. In a d disgusting way. Yeah. But anyway, this is another perfect example of how Swedish media works. You have this big media behemoth, this conglomerate, con conglomerate of three... You have a Swedish state radio, you have the state television, and the, then there's this third company called Utbildningsradion, which produces uh, material for schools. Uh, and, it's, and all these three companies are put into one large behemoth that have this huge annual budget of $800 million a year. For that money, we get one... We have like one talk show in Sweden that's called Opinion Live, where we where politicians come on and we, you know, sort of try to. This summer in Almedalen, which is sort of a, uh, well, it's a testing ground for political parties every year. Every year, it, it's a tradition. It's yeah, like sweepstakes. Yeah. Uh, so um, and this uh, and every year, uh, every party in the parliament gets one night at Opinion Live. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this year, all the party leaders were there uh, one night each. And, and it's uh, live. And, yeah, it's live. And they have 10 to 15 minutes with the, the party leader. And they can use the, this time to inform us, the populace, yeah. what, about what we need to know about these yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. Instead, she has a can where it's filled with uh, paper. Uh, the pa talk show host. The talk show host has a can filled with paper notes. With no, no, not even a can. Aaron, it was like a small replica of a pink suitcase. And the, the leaders of the parties have to pick little pieces of paper from this little suitcase. And there's these inane questions and written on no it. Politics. No only, politics. Only personal questions. Yeah, what yeah. TV shows do you like? Yeah, yeah. Does your feet get tired after a long yeah, day? It's a farce. It's a farce. Completely. To be fair, you have to say that before that, there's always a segment where they try to... Is the word grill them? No. You use that word? Yeah, I'm not sure. sure. Where it's sort of hard talk uh, for a while. But after that, so it, it, because we don't want them to get too uncomfortable, you know, the politicians. So you have to sort of round off the edges with these inane questions. And this is a perfect example, this show, SVT Opinion Live, of how we treat very complex subjects in Sweden. We dumb it down to a level where even a five-year-old can appreciate it. And that has... Actually, to where a five-year-old can get sort of uh, pissed off that they're talking to him right. like a child. Exactly. Uh, so what they're doing is that they're belittling the listeners and the viewers. And for that huge amount of money I mentioned earlier, we get one of these shows every year. I mean, in a sane society with that kind of money, this media company should launch at least two, maybe even three shows of this magnitude. And say that we'll, we'll have one of these shows that's left-leaning, one that's right-leaning, and then the people can switch between them and in the end make their own decisions about what you know the politicians said. But everything in state television and radio in Sweden is very skewed to the left. And even ordinary people 
you know, the Joe Sixpack, if you talk to someone on the street, they, te- they think that state television and state radio is still neutral. And it's not neutral at all. It's never been neutral. It's never been neutral. So don't say still neutral. No, but... It just felt neutral. It felt neutral. Because they had no other information. There was no competition. And then social media came along. And I think that that really social media has probably transformed... Sweden is probably one of the countries in the world that has been most transformed the past five, ten years through social media, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Because that has... Open up the eyes and ears to, to the ordinary Swedes in a way and, that I think it's unparalleled. And it's not only that. I mean, the silence here, uh, the fact is that in Sweden you can only have one opinion. At so, a time. At, at a time. A time. Yeah. And everyone knows what opinion that is, so there's no reason to talk about that. Uh, most, That's, true. Mo- That's most, true. Most of the time. Yeah, yeah. So That's we have true. a lot of silence, right? Uh, now I... Oh, fuck you. Uh, I, you I lost, lost your train of thought? Yeah. Okay, but we're talking about... Swedish state television and Swedish radio and how much they affect this country. And I think it's hard for outsiders sometimes to understand No, yeah, yeah, and, the and, huge influence these companies have. Yeah, and, and, and that ties back because I didn't get to finish last time because I weird off into somewhere else. But the thing with the corporativist state, the homogeneity... I mean, in Sweden, uh, Sweden hasn't been homogenous since the 70s. Are you talking about demographically or yes. culturally? No, both. Because you need both in order for the system to work. Mm-hmm. It has to have a homogenous population, culturally, ethnically, in every possible way. Is that really true? Yes. And, and it's also group-based. So uh, when, for instance, a show host at Opinion Live asks a party leader uh, uh, an impertinent question, which right. might piss him off, yeah. she's not pissing off a party leader. She's pissing off the entire collective right. that he represents. Yeah, yeah. So that's why they have to dial it back all the time and can't really... Because there's no conflict between individuals in Sweden. It's true. There's conflict between groups. Mm. So if a conflict arises, it very quickly escalates. And that's why we've not had any conflicts here for 250 years. But now we have a lot of social unrest. Yes. Uh, it, But the system isn't built for it. The culture isn't prepared for it. I know. And, and, and this is the weird thing that also people have to understand about Sweden, that for, for, for about 100 years, we had a relatively small police force. And we still have a very small police force compared to our, the size of our population. We have about, I think, between 18 and 20,000 police officers at ev- any given point that we can send out into the streets. I don't even think that's that much. Maybe between 10 and 15,000 that are actively patrolling the streets. That is... The, the size of the police force is now, these days, disproportionate. Because we have gone from about 7, 8 million people. And for decades, that was the size of our population. Now we are 10, close to 10. Or, or you, we, I think we passed the 10 million mark. We did ago, about a year ago, yeah, and that has to do with immigration. That's no secret. I mean, that's the, that is actually a secret. In, in Sweden, Sweden, it's still, it's Sweden. Still, we're now 10 million. They said nothing about immigration. I know, true, and that's a, another time where media. Sweden or Swedes are having more babies than ever. I know they lie by omission, <laughs> but you and I and, and most people outside Sweden know that the huge, uh, relatively huge influx of immigrants has. That's the reason behind th- this uh, this uh, growth. But other uh, forces and, and organizations and, and you know, state f- 
funded government branches, they have not grown proportionately. And the police force is much too small these days. So whenever we have social unrest, unrest in, in Göteborg and Stockholm and Malmö, the police these days have this strategy that they don't want to... Um, if, if they burn cars, for instance... The strategy, carbicues. The carbicues. I think we should introduce that uh, word now. The carbicues. carbicues. That, the, str- the strategy from the police is not to try to, to go in and arrest everyone and throw them in jail. They stand back because they don't want to provoke the criminals. Because if they do, things might get really out of hand. And I think that a lot of other countries and a lot of other police, people that work in the police forces of other countries, they, I mean, you just have to go to Finland. They can't believe their eyes and ears. And an interesting thing is that this was a slip up probably when a journalist at Swedish state television made the huge mistake of asking a Finnish police officer, I think it was two years ago, how do you deal with car barbecues and car burnings in Finland? And he said, he didn't understand the question because we don't have them here. And the Swedish journalist was flabbergasted because to her, he, she had expected that they'd have the same problem in Denmark, in Finland, in Norway. To some extent they have. But it's, I mean, it's so disproportionate what's happening in Sweden that it is such an anomaly. And most Swedes haven't grasped that yet. They think that, you know, car burnings is something that all countries have. To this extent, and it's not true, but it's just one example, really. We have other things that are that are extreme in any other country in the world. Would you like to go into the Rutherford thing? The Rutherford thing isn't that that? W- isn't that scandal in England with the Pakistani grooming rape gangs? Uh, yeah, we. I, 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 I wasn't talking about England because I don't even know if it was called Rutherford at the moment. Okay, was uh, that when when Tommy Robinson was? Speaking about reporting about this outside. That's the la- last in that. Uh, it's a very long scandal yeah, that's yeah. been going on for quite but some time. But he reported about this outside one of the courts, yes. and that's why they threw him in jail. Yes, because you can't talk about these things before, you know. Precisely, I- but I, I only used uh, the the English instance as a sort of a starting point for us to talk about Sweden. Okay, because we've had uh, no investigations into anything like this, and we're in Östersund right now, and you uh, you. This is my hometown. Yeah, you welcomed me here. here uh, right. uh, as a stand-up comedian, I've seen most of Sweden, but Östersund, where you live, is sort of a blank spot on the page. It is. Uh, no roads past this place. Most people. Yeah, yeah, you have to make a detour to get here. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, um, way up north, uh, and it's close to, to uh, whatever, where people go to ski. Yeah. So, but it's a, so it's a suburb to, 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 to the mountains, but it's really a nice little town. It's a very nice little town. Yeah. And nice you welcomed me and you showed me the, the, set, the center with the bus station. And yeah, you said yeah, in the last two station. years. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can explain what happened the, the past two years. And I'm not going to say anything about the reasons behind it, but because I think people can maybe draw that conclusion themselves. The past, for the past two years, we've had... People have started selling heroin at the bus station in my hometown. We haven't had that before. And we have a, a, not a huge problem, but we have a problem with young girls selling their bodies for money, you know, selling sex for money. And a bunch of other problems that, that this little quaint, bucolic town has been spared of for decades. Now, as I said, I'm not going to say anything about the reasons why suddenly two years ago uh, these problems exploded. But everyone 
here in my hometown knows what this is in relation to and, and the reasons behind it. And the media here in my hometown, they systematically fail to address these issues. And what happens then, you think? They grow because they become unchecked. And the, if you talk to any police here in, in Ostersund, they will tell you the truth, what's happening, what's really happening. But if you ask the media, they look the other way. And the, the interesting thing is that one of the newspapers is they're situated in a building that's, I think it's about 200 yards from where, where all this is happening. But this is not unique to Yeah, my you, you showed me. They could yeah. uh, pretty much take a picture with their cell phone from, from their, their windows. From their, from office. their windows, yeah. yeah. Where people sell drugs and sell their bodies and a lot of other horrible things that are happening now. But this is not really unique to my hometown. This, is, this has been happening for, for decades now all over Sweden. And people that see their villages and small towns transform this dramatically uh, during a very short time of course they they become quote-unquote racists especially when politicians tell them that you can never talk about the reasons behind why this is happening it has nothing to do with people from other parts of the world coming to sweden introducing this this stuff i talked to a guy that worked as a uh he, he went around Stockholm securing uh, parking lots during nights. I'm not sure what the term is. He's not a police officer. He's a, He's a guard. Just, a guard. Yeah. A security guard. That's yeah. the word. Yeah. He's a security guard. And he said to me two years ago that we have a huge problem in, in Stockholm now with Harriam because we have had a lot of people coming from Afghanistan. And these young people that come from Afghanistan, they already smoke heroin as a recreational drug. And it's very cheap to do that in Kabul or if they come from Tehran. You have to pay about 50 kroner for one dose. They come to Sweden, it's 100 times more expensive. What do you think they have to do? They have to start committing crimes to fund this habit. To him, that was just an explanation. You know, he was a security guard. He saw it in a very pragmatic way. But... Politicians and other and journalists in Sweden, they, they don't want to talk about this problem because in, to them, this instantly becomes a, a, dis, a discussion about race. It becomes racist to, to talk yeah. about this. And this is just one example of how crazy, crazily skewed everything has gotten in Sweden. I mean, I know that Americans think that they have a polarized problem with racism and, and you know, bigotry and, and, you know, the black... Life's Matter movement and all of that. And it's a huge problem in America. But it's even crazier in Sweden because we have almost no one to counter that political correctness. It's, it's like a handful of and people. And it's been going on for much longer yeah. than it has in the States or England right. or Canada. And it's a handful and, and, and of it's, people. It's all, I mean, I get so tired of people. Like, isn't it? Because now Jordan Peterson is coming to Sweden. Yeah. And a lot of people love Jordan Peterson now. And a lot of people fear him. And a lot of people fear him. That is true also. But what fascinates me is because I went to lecture at one of these Jordan Peterson events uh, where he wasn't. Uh, but, you know, a lot of... Uh, they invited me and I... Here in Sweden. Yes, here in Sweden. Stockholm. Yeah, yeah. No problem. And, and, and I went to lecture and it's obvious that just a few months ago, all of these kids were just social justice warriors. And of course, you can change your mind when you're young, but that's not the case. That's not what's happening in Sweden. Swedes have no moral center. There's no moral center in the Swedish culture. Sweden will take on whatever the world throws at it, and it will 
uh, in a sort of very shallow way, uh, look or pose as if it's the best at it. But we will be the same behind the surface as we've right. always been. Right. Okay. So... Is that, that too Swedophobic for you? No, no, no. It's true. It's true. But I, I, I think we should stay... We should talk a little more. Okay, sorry. I, I got no, no, no. I, 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 because, uh, but, but, you, but you were... Point, because earlier in the conversation you said, do we love silence that much? We do. Yes, we do. And we're that, addicted and, to And silence. you just said the problem here... Yeah, is silence. Is silence. It's, because it, it exasperates problems. Because we don't talk about them. Right. But it's really lying by omission... And when you speak to Swedish journalists, they have this really weird uh, notion that their task, if they have any task, is to to protect the people from information that's harmful. And they don't understand that alternative media, as we call it, you're part of it, uh, has grown the past five years in Sweden because traditional media, mainstream media... It's not, they're not doing their job. And when I asked my, my colleague, my former colleagues at state television and state radio, why do you think that we have these days uh, people like Alex Jones and, and Paul Joseph Watson and all these pundits? We have YouTubers. We have people, you know, doing radio shows from their basements or, you know, sitting anywhere like we're doing now. Why do you think that is? And they're, they're stumped to, to come up with an answer. They think that all they have to focus on is to, to suppress that and to make it go away. So But a can... lot of people have hated the, you know, the political system in Sweden probably for a very yeah, long but time. Now but now we have social media. Yeah, and we for can express first, it. Exactly. For the first time, these people have a, a reliable tool to get their opinions out there to, to millions of people. And, and, and a lot of journalists in Sweden still think that if we choose not to talk about a subject, people will not find out. And I try to tell my colleagues that, you know, you can never beat Facebook or Twitter. People have cell phones these days. I mean, this, this seems so obvious to the people listening to this show. I mean, everybody understands this. But a lot of Swedish journalists, they haven't gotten that yet. Mm. They think that you can still push back social media, you can push back what people are seeing with their own eyes, taping with their recorders on their phones, filming, putting up on Facebook, on Twitter. And what, what's happening in Sweden every day these days is that, that the journalists are beating, they're beating at their own game by the public. And it happens every day. They try to lie about something. They try to omit information from what they're reporting. And after a couple of hours... They have to change. They have to change their story because it, the, the truth has seeped out through Twitter, Facebook, and social media. Just they, week, I, I just want to point. Uh, I just want to stick in here because uh, just a week ago we had these car burnings again because soon school will start and you know kids are bored and they don't want to go right. to school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so so they have uh, to burn cars. So they burned a shitload of cars Down in, in Göteborg, Göteborg, second biggest city in Sweden. Yeah, western. Yeah, different suburbs uh, apart from each other within minutes, uh, coordinated via social media. Mm -hmm. Started uh, car fires uh, with you know bangers and uh, gasoline and Molotov everything. Molotov cocktails. I think they burned about a hundred cars. Yeah, yeah, one of the biggest barbecues we've had so yeah, far. Yeah. Yes. So, um, and journalists in Sweden instantaneously, and a lot of celebrities and a lot of pundits said that this had to be 
coordinated by Russians or the right wing. And this is really the... Very fast. Yeah. It took almost no time for leading journalists. Yeah, I mean, Anders Lindberg. At Aftonbladet, one uh, of the biggest newspapers in Sweden. Owned and controlled by the unions. Yeah. Yes. And then uh, state television. They were all... All over it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a conspiracy. It's the Swedish Democrats. They want to affect the election. Yeah. It's agitprop. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The old Russian word for... Right, right. It's fascinating because one of their main points was that, you know, there's no way, they said, that, that young immigrant kids in the suburbs could have coordinated such a... Advanced. Such a de- yeah, exactly. Advanced and devious plan through Snapchat or whatever. <laughs> and that is really the soft bigotry of low expectations. Yeah. I joked about this on Facebook and said, you know, if you don't think these kids can, can do come up with something like this, this that's really racism. Mm-hmm. And the left, left in Sweden, they hate when you point out that they also are racists, but in a, you know, the soft bigotry of low expectations, which is also racist, racism, racism, but in another way. And they're not used to people pointing that out to them. So they, they became pissed, of course. And still, a week after this has happened, they are still debating if Putin is behind it. And I mean, some of the papers have by this point in time uh, reported that this was criminal activity and these kids were probably sent out by older criminals in Göteborg to... It could have been sort of a, a, a revenge not a revenge but uh, they, the police, a show of force a show of force against exactly. the police and the system exactly and they've been pretty open about this but still the left is mulling the possibility that this was really I mean it was Putin or maybe uh, I don't know even Trump was behind this yeah yeah. so so they're probably they, in collusion in collusion with <laughs> Trump so they've essentially become the conspiracy theorists that they always lambast Others and, for being. Yeah, exactly. And they, they and the reason they they think that everyone else is a conspiracy theorist is because they actually are conspirators. One, yeah, it takes one to know one. And the, yeah. fun, the, the fun thing in the funny thing is that they hate someone like Alex Jones and say, you know, Alex Jones and guys like him, they're the king of conspiracy, and they are misleading the people all the time. All the time. But the past couple of months. Swedish media, mainstream media, has really gone full Alex Jones on a number of subjects. They've become what they hate and what they despise. And I, there's probably some psychological term for that. I don't know what it is. Projection, I guess. And it's really scary to see. And it's, it's creepy in a way that I, I didn't think that I would experience this during my lifetime. Because we are full force heading into an Orwellian society that, that's... It's completely crazy. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, I think that Sweden has been a Norwegian society my entire life, so I'm not really on your side when it comes to that. I just, no, I'm serious about this. It's I know, just, I know you, you are. You guys never complained as long as you had it good. And, and when you as say, long as you got your paycheck from the government, true. you didn't care what they did true. to you. And, and now you're reaping the fucking whirlwind, boy. And when you say you guys, I understand that you... You mean us on the left side because I'm still a leftist or yep. claim to be. A well, leftist. I'm an individual. I just when you're when, a conservative when, or a lib- liberal, I guess. I'm not a conservative. I'm I've a libertarian, been, a classic yeah, liberal. True, true. And I've I been, used to be very hardcore, but I'm old. Okay. I'm and I used to be a, sort of a hardcore social democrat because my my grandfather was a, a union leader, so I, I've been 
raised in sort of that tradition. But even I, as a former hardcore social democrat, has have to admit that that Sweden has gone completely haywire the past five, ten years. And it's reached a level of craziness that's, like I said, unparalleled. And people outside Sweden, I, I think they don't have a hard time understanding it, just how crazy it is. I mean, these pundits have realized that Sweden seem to have a lot of problems with immigration and integration and segregation and crime, rising crime and, and you know, we're the rape capital of the world and whatever. But it's it's deeper than that. It's a, it's a huge problem how media... Uh, how media works these days in Sweden. And you really have to live in Sweden to understand it. You have to have something to compare with. It's really scary stuff. I know. Yeah. Um, I don't want to be flippant about it, but it's, it's, it's re- it really scares me because I know journalists that I've worked with. I know them privately. And, and they're just beginning to understand that they are not part of the solution. They're part of the problem. Because if you lie for such a long time, even if it's in, with the best intentions, the results are still going to be disastrous. And you really have to explain to these people the expression, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. That's an old saying, but only lately some of the journalists in Sweden have come to realize what that really means. And that's what's, what they've been doing. Who? Who? The journalists? Yeah. Other, yeah. Who has realized anything? Some of my colleagues, and this is the creepy thing about Sweden, that if you talk to journalists privately, some of them, a lot of them will admit that, yeah, yeah, we're doing, we're doing exactly what we should not be doing. But, you know, I have, I have a big house loan. I need to pay my mortgage. I have kids. I need to send them through a private school because that's an option in Sweden these days. So if I report the truth, I might get fired and my uh, economy will be, you know, ruined. So I keep my mouth shut. So we're not silence, silencing our journalists through, you know, force, inti- force or There's in- no force. intimidation. No, it's, it's re- regulating itself because people are afraid to lose their job and to lose, you know, their, their standard of living. And, and also uh, social life. Yeah, because, because you... You've lost a lot of friends, yes, haven't yes. you? Yes, I've been ostracized by a lot of my former friends. I mean, childhood friends. Because when I started to talk about these things publicly in about five years ago, they immediately branded me, you know, you used to talk about immigration publicly. You're racist. And I said, that's fucked up because this is not, it has nothing to do with racism. Uh, so I lost a lot of jobs. I lost friends. And I was ostracized by many people. And a lot of people that I thought would always stand up for me did not stand up for me. And I will never, I can tell you that, I will never forget who, who stood, up for, stood up for me and who didn't. And this is not something that only happened to me. This has happened to thousands, tens of thousands of, of Swedes that there's been this big conflict By now, it's hundreds of thousands. Yeah, probably. About immigration and segregation. And that discussion has led to them being ostracized, fired, uh, being discredited, being called racist, fascist, even Nazis. They are running out of people to ostracize. They are. They are. Yeah, and it's gonna, the, the election that's coming up in a couple of weeks here in Sweden is going to be probably a huge upset and throw Sweden into political chaos... And one can tell if you look at the value of our currency. Yeah, it's Because dropping. the Swedish krona has always been 
very stable and yeah, strong. Yeah, it's dropping now. Uh, and the reason it's been so strong and so stable is because there's no political risk in Sweden. No, there's no political risk. And what do you mean no. by political risk? Well, when you value a currency, for instance, the Uni uh, United States dollar or the Russian ruble, you have to weigh in the risk of a revolution or right. that the government doesn't work or yeah. does it, that it defaults on, it on its loans. Right. Stuff like that, right? Yeah. Sweden has had zero political risk, almost. Like, Close to zero. But and now, no social unrest. Yes, after the election, whatever happens, yeah. no one knows what's going to happen. So the risk premium for the Swedish krona has gone from zero to 100%. Right. And most Swedes don't know these things. No. And once again, this ties back to the Swedish media, how it works. Because Swedish media, state media especially, fail systematically to report the important things to people. So we have a public in Sweden that that is that in their own mind they are very well informed they think they know how the world works but if they only watch state television and listen to state radio and, and read some of the biggest newspapers and and gov has has gone to state schools yeah exactly they have state education they are so misinformed about how the world really works it's scary they think that i mean for instance we've learned that that uh, america is is a bad country for most you know parts and aspects during school you know america was a capitalist country you know it was a crazy country when it comes to polit politics and, and race relations and all that stuff but suddenly america has become to the swedish left has become the, the prime example of multiculturalism and they they tote america as you know look at america it's a multicultural country you know We should do the same thing as they've done. But they fail to understand and the journalists fail to report that America is really a gigantic failure when it comes to multiculturalism because they have extreme segregation in all cities in America. And I think it was Albert Einstein that said at some point that, no, Freud said that, yeah, America is huge, but a huge mistake. And I'm not sure if he already... I don't agree at all, but... but it's uh, a, that it's a huge mistake. Uh, I don't agree that America is a huge mistake. No, but you're a libertarian. Yes, so, but know. I like the Constitution of the United States of America. To, yeah, I but you have to personally admit, would like us to have a more similar Constitution to that one. I think that, that we one. should have, like they have uh, the Second Amendment and all those things that are good, the Constitution, and you know... They you went straight to the Second? No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the right to bear arms. No, no... Uh, What's good about you have to have something to defend also. I know, you know? that's I know, the I know. first in them. But the good thing about America is that you can you can stand on the street and scream any kind of racist shit. You know, there will be consequences. Someone might run up to you and, and clock you. In Sweden, you can't even do that because we have this really weird law called Hetsmut Folkgrupp, which I think only Sweden hate speech laws. Hate speech laws that we only Sweden and Finland has, and we have it for. Uh, A special reason that is one of those things we don't like to talk What's about. What's the reason? Because that? we were Nazis during the war. Right, so we're overcompensating. <laughs> yes. Now. But like I said... Which we are with goodness as well. Yeah, It's yeah. a performative, compensatory goodness. It's true. And some of the things that we have in Sweden are great and good. You know, we should not deny that. And some of the things they have in America is good. But the paradox I was trying to point out to you is that the Swedish left, who have always hated America, are now saying that America is such a great example because they have, they have realized the notion of, of multiculturalism fully, you know. But it's, that's a lie. 
you s- they have huge problems with segregation and conflicts between different um, uh, cultural uh, groups in America. But you- it would work even uh, worse in Sweden because we have a system that depends on a homogeneous population. Yeah. So the good thing about the Constitution of the United States, it's uh, pretty loose compared to the Swedish constitution, which... You can't really compare the countries. Th- yeah, yeah. yeah, you can't really compare the countries. The, the irony is just... I was trying to try and, and this is something irony. a journalist uh, should be aware uh, of, you know, that different countries have different systems that grown out of history and therefore work differently. Of course. So of we course. can't just do what the United States did. Of course not. Because we're not the United I was States. Th- I was merely trying to point out the irony that the Swedish left these days are so fond of America when it comes to multiculturalism because that's a a concept that they're desperately trying to push on the Swedish people and trying to sell it to the Swedish people. And I'm not saying that it's something bad inherently, multiculturalism, but the way we've gone about it in Sweden, we have failed miserably. And Sweden is these days a, a horribly segregated country. Because we've taken on so many people in such a short time, and the politicians tried to sell this concept to the people by saying that we 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 will by lying about it, yeah, and not lying get, by omission and saying that you know we should take a lot of immigrants to Sweden. They haven't only lied by omission; they have lied. They have, about it. They have said lied. that this is a, a fucking plus. Uh, you we will make so much money on immigrants off the immigrants. Yes, right. and that's then, what they said. I know they said it. An flat economic out. argument for yeah. a humanitarian exactly. thing, and that's what I hate about it. The left in Sweden has really sold out because they said that of course we should let poor people from other parts of the world come to Sweden because they can do the shitty jobs that we don't want to do, like the Mexicans, Mexicans do in, in in America. And at the same time, they scream at the United States for using Mexicans as cheap labor. Exactly. Hypocrisy do, galore. Yeah, yeah, we've done the exact same thing here in Sweden. And once they were proven wrong recently that, you know, immigration costs a lot of money. There's a lot of problems culturally and socially attached to this. They tried to find other arguments why we should have a huge influx of immigrants from Africa and the Middle East. And, and that's where the battle is standing right now. And I think we should. And and the reason you should uh, be a proponent of taking in people who might be fleeing persecution is humanitarian reasons. That should be... Not because they're a fucking wallet with legs. I I agree. That should be the only reason, the humanitarian reason. But but politicians and journalists in Sweden have constantly lied about this for decades now. And we have, uh, because of uh, the corporativism and the collective, we have one of the most ill-prepared populations to face real problems ever in the history of the world. You mean because we've been in this bubble? Because we've had peace for 250 years? Yeah. No wars. And prosperity. Prosperity, not for 200 years. Uh, We've had prosperity. Basically, no social unrest. Basically, we've never had a revolution. No. Very little segregation. Very little. There was nothing to segregate. Yeah. So what you're saying is that we have a very steep learning curve in Sweden. I think that we've passed the window where this can be fixed. We have to look at alternatives. We cannot turn back time and go back to the system that was. Because, first of all, that 
not only is affected by immigration, it's also affected by the fact that we're not a, a factory country anymore. We're, a, we're not producing we're, anything. No, we're an IT nation yeah, now. Yeah. And then you have to adapt, right? Yeah. And the system isn't adapted to that. So that would have been affected regardless of immigration. Yeah. We've had to de- we, we would have to deal with that regardless. That's true. That's true. And now we have to deal with that. We have to deal with immigration. Yeah. We have to deal with gender because they've been lying about gender for 5,000 years now. I'm not how, do exact- you mean, how do you mean they've been lying about gender? Who's well, been Swedes, lying about gender? Like Swedes culturally, even before uh, gender feminism and third way. Swedes, Scandinavian Germans. or uh, Scandinavian Germans? Well, uh, Ger- Scandinavians are Germans. Germanic. Yes, Germanic. Yeah, yeah. Germanic. The, yes. You're right. Yeah, this is, uh, this is the, uh, Scandinavia is the Germanic highland. It is, they are the Scots of Germania. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, uh, okay. So, um, where was I? That sounds awful. We are, we are so, the highlanders of what? Uh, of, of Germany. This okay. is the German highland. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This, the, the, the language we normally so speak, you and I, is this. the purest Germanic there's ever been. Okay, okay. And, and that's really a problem for you because you're of Jewish descent. Not right? at all. It's not a problem okay. for me. But your point was... I don't know anymore. <laughs> no, we're talking well, about well, how... Well, they were ill-prepared. We were, were uh, well, extremely ill No, no, culturally. Um, yeah. So Scandinavians have always had a very, very strange relationship between the sexes. Yeah. And this is a cultural thing that goes back thousands of years. It's, you can read about it in Tacitus if you want to. Um, it's just a special thing, you know, and, and I think feminism, we were one of the first country. I think we were the first country in the world to have uh, equal votes for women. Probably. And, yeah. and the women in Sweden got full equal wo- vote before men did. Yeah, and that was in, back in 1922, so, I think. So uh, Swedish men got the vote in 1909, but it yeah. wasn't a full vote. You had to do military service and you couldn't have committed a crime. Right. And then in 1919, women got the vote. Oh, was but it 1919? Okay. But they could use it in the election of 1921 for okay. the first time. Right. And then in 1924, I think, men got the full vote. Okay. So we're actually a country where women got the full vote before men got the full vote. Is that vote. true? Yes. Right. That is something they don't tell you in schools here. Okay. So we've had a problem with this. Uh, not problem. Swedes have their own thing about this. It's, yeah. the, it's their own thing. They deal with it the way. But it doesn't really mix well with other... Uh, cultures. nations, cultures uh, view on this matter, which is that there is a, an inherent difference between men and women. And this is interesting because what you're saying here, I think that most people will, will interpret this as some sort of criticism to other cultures, but it's not necessarily. No, it's, I'm, I'm, just, just, I'm just saying that in Sweden, Swedes have a, a very special relationship between the sexes and everyone else has something else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's not the same thing as saying that the one, one thing is right and the other thing is wrong. No. But in Sweden... I'm it, for gender equality. I know, I know just... you are. But if you talk about these things publicly in Sweden, the left will immediately jump on you and say that, oh, so what you're saying, I mean, like she did, the, the British journalist with Jordan Peterson... So what you're saying is that you think that the Swedish way is better, which is ironic because the left should really agree on that, that what we've done here with, with gender rights and for 100 years is better. 
It is better. But I'm not but, even saying that. that but it's, 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 it's just it, different. Yes, it's different. but it's also the, the, the discussion, on, the cultural discussion of this in Sweden, because this is an ongoing cultural discussion in Sweden, the sex thing. It's been going on for hundreds of years, yeah. long before gender. Yeah. And, and, and it's always the same. It's always right. the, the girl characters in, in the drama, they're like, but I want to fuck around just like the guys. And I read this in a novel from the 20s. Right. All right? Mm-hmm. So, it's so been, we were, we were uh, really liberal when it came to sex yeah a hundred yeah. years ago yeah and then came the swedish sin and, and bergman movies and all that but, but i was talking about this more um, more uh, because i wanted to uh, well i wanted to tie it into the silence and the ill preparation of the population because there's so much swedes don't fucking know about yeah, themselves yeah, and others that's what i said yeah. we have our our how we perceive the rest of the world is, is, is so strange and we think that we are the norm the global norm and that everyone else yeah. is fucked up yeah exactly <laughs> and, and that's what I think a lot of these pundits have have trouble understanding that Sweden is such an extreme country in that way that we think that, that we are the norm when we're really not and we have these huge problems in Sweden because we think that when people come from other parts of the world and just step across the border into Sweden, they become Swedes or they want to become Swedes. But now we have hundreds of thousands of people that have come to Sweden and they're not at all interested in becoming part of the Swedish culture. They want to live here. They want to have their own little enclaves, their societies here in Sweden. They might even want... And that is unfathomable for Swedes. It is. How can you not want to exactly, become Swedish? Exactly. It's the greatest. I know, especially for Actually, the Actually, it's left. lagom, but that means the greatest. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's a special word we have in Sweden, lagom, which is not too much and not too little. But, but the, the, the cultural left in Sweden is really offended by the thought that someone would come to Sweden and not want to become a Swede because we're such a great liberal country. We are so far ahead when it comes to gender studies and stuff like that. So instead of admitting that, you know, we are not the norm and people that come here from the rest of the world, there are billions of them that think the, the opposite to what we're thinking. Instead of admitting that, they, especially journalists, want to, to fool the public into believing that most people that come to Sweden really want to become Swedes. And, they and also, uh, they don't view men and women as different. They, exactly. They have pretty much the same idea as we do. Which is not true. Not at all. By any stretch of the imagination, it's not true. So we have this huge conflict in Sweden now, and it's going to get a lot worse before it... If it gets better, it's going to get a lot worse first because we have so many influential pundits and journalists and politicians in Sweden that are hell-bent on perpetuating this lie about Sweden being the norm and you know if we just stick to our norm uh, everything will be okay and at the same time that's the paradox they don't want to enforce this norm on people from other parts of the world that come to Sweden they're afraid to t- tell people that come here that you know if you come to Sweden you really have to adapt so in their world, this is something that, that these people should absorb through some magical osmosis, I don't know what to call it, instead of telling people when they come to Sweden that we, look, we are an extreme country. We're extremely um, liberal when it comes to women's rights and sex and everything. Uh, and if you want to live here, you have to accept that. But we don't, at the same time, we don't want to offend people from other parts of the world. I mean, that's the notion of the left, that you can't really tell people who come to Sweden that you have to adapt 
because that would be some sort of ra- racism, cultural yeah. racism. And also social faux pas. Exactly. And as long as we stick to that plan, we're going to fail miserably. Because, of course, we have to tell people who come to Sweden, look, these are the rules here. You know, this, this would be the equivalent of, of throwing someone into a hockey game. Someone who has never played hockey and say that. See, nice. Yeah, just, you know, exactly. <laughs> just, just, you know, play the game. And that person would ask, but what, what are the rules? How do I score a goal? What, what, we what? don't have any rules. Exactly. But we you can't do that. Exactly. And that's the big, that's the big uh, failure of the Swedish welfare state when it comes to immigration. And, and, and it's, it's such a... Which brings us back to our first point. It is. but it's such Silence. A, yeah, silence. It's such a shitty thing to do to people that come to Sweden to not tell them the rules of our society but still expect them to follow these rules. And then when they commit social faux pas or whatever you want to call it, there's this huge reaction from people that, you know, you don't do that in Sweden. You just, that's a transgression. And people are And we have so many transgressions. We have so many, many It's a super neurotic culture. It is. We have (laughs) many taboos and we have many ways to, to commit these transgressions socially. But we are still so afraid to tell people that come from other countries how how to act in Sweden because that's for some fucked up reason that that's considered racist to tell people from other countries look if you want to fit in do this do not do that that has become racist in Sweden and that's a huge problem that that has caused so much damage and so much segregation that I doubt that we will ever bounce back. Well, that might be true. But you have to understand also that the social democratic state of Sweden (coughs) is the high point of Swedish history. Meaning Um, the apex of of our civilization or our... Well, if you look at the the history of Sweden so far, uh, what the social democrats did was the apex, yes. It was. And and people in Sweden failed to understand that future historians will say that Sweden peaked around 1965. Yeah. And we think we're still striving for for that peak and we think that just give us a few more years so that we can, you know, there are a few more uh, little cog wheels that we need to adjust to make this machine Perfect. run sl- smoothly. Mm. We have to change that law. We have to do this. We have to do that. And what they fail to see, most people in Sweden, is that we've passed the peak, uh, peak folkhem, which is you know people's home. People's home. You know that's what the Social Democrats created. It was a great you know for the people's home of Sweden. Yeah, doesn't for, sound socialist at all, does it? <laughs> no, but it was a great era between you know after the Second World War up until ni- 1965-70. But by then, you know, we had this homogenous population. We had almost all but eradicated poverty. We had, we had all our infrastructure intact because we didn't partake in the First or Second World War. Exactly. So we were super rich. All our neighbors had nothing for some reason. True. So we could sell, you know, asphalt, wood, yeah. iron ore to everyone. Yeah. What we sold to the Nazis during the World War, we now sold to our neighboring countries. Yes. And we exported know-how to the rest of the world, how to build dams, how to do a lot of technical stuff. So... For 30, 40 years, Sweden was a great place. It still is a great place, but, but you know, it was an unparalleled development for any country in the world at the time. And we had a head start compared to other countries because we were not part of the war. 
So and now we're slowly, slowly sinking back. Not into, slowly, Aaron. Not no, slowly. actually, we're sinking like a stone we're, into the mainstream of what nations usually we are, are. We are rapidly descending into that, and we still have so much, much accumulated wealth and know-how in this country. It's going to last us for another maybe ten years, but but. We're all, we also have problems that we've never had in Sweden. And, and also, we have a, but, so we, we do have a lot of know-how and stuff, especially in the industry, which we can use, and that will be great. But when it comes to politics and leaders in culture, humanities, yeah. Yeah. all these people are completely incompetent. They they've, are. they've been recruited because the state likes what they say and they're useful idiots. And so there's a lot of work to be done the coming 30 to 40 years. I don't think that Sweden is going to stand for another 30 or 40 years. And that's very pessimistic. It is. I'd give it three to four years. And I know a lot of people are going to jump on me and say that you're such an alarmist. But three to four years? Before what? Before we have so much social unrest that it's not controllable anymore. And that's going to... That's, that point we've already passed. But that I think has so, already... but it's going to spiral out of control. And that's very, very sad because it's so completely unnecessary. And also kind of scary. Yeah. Because and these people haven't fought for 250 years. They, they haven't. They haven't. But if we could wrap up this discussion, I'm going to give you an example. I read uh, such an interesting parallel to, to Sweden. There's this writer, author called, uh, her name is Anna Funder. I think she's from Australia from the beginning. And she went back to, I think she had studied in DDR. East Germany, and she went back to that country as an adult to write this book called Stasiland, about where she interviewed people who had worked for the government uh, security, uh, secret service, the Stasi of the DDR. Uh, she interviewed informers. She interviewed people who had been thrown into jail for having the wrong opinions. It's a great book. Uh, it was published here in Sweden in 2005. And she said that, you know, Eric Mielke and all the other uh, top brass of DDR, when the revolution came in 1989 and the, the Berlin Wall came down and all of that, they were completely surprised because they didn't see that coming. The officials in DDR, East Germany, they did not understand that the Soviet, uh, uh, the, the Soviet uh, uh, superpowers collapsing. So they were genuinely surprised by that because they had focused on the small things in society. Who's sleeping with whom? Who's slacking off at work? You know, who's telling political jokes at work? They had like 40, 50,000 people, informers, working, just controlling uh, the population in East Germany. And when I read that book, I realized that this is really a story about Sweden, what's happening now. Because in Sweden, we are fixated on things like manspreading, uh, that milk is racist, and every other bizarre idea that comes along from usually from America, it starts there. If they have a Black Lives Matter movement, we should have it in Sweden, even if it's, it's absurd because it's not the same. We don't have the same history. We didn't have slavery, uh, not we in did, the same sense. No, 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 not, not even close. Swedes uh, abolished slavery, one of the first nations in the world, but that's mostly because you don't need the word for slave if everyone is one voluntarily. <laughs> right. But, you know, so we're focusing on microaggressions and manspreading and all this bizarre stuff, and we 
fail to understand that what's happening behind our backs, the Swedish superpower, the humanitarian super, superpower, the economic superpower, is collapsing. And there's a lot of people in Sweden, they're, they're going to be just as surprised about what's happening as these people in, in East Germany was 30 years ago. So it was a chilling experience to read that book and realize that this is deja vu, this is happening again. So you think pretty much what I think, that it's not that we never had a revolution, we just postponed it. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, that's true. And, and the re revolution will eat its own children. And that's what's happening in Sweden now, because the left is really starting to, to claw each other's eyes out, because they have used words like fascist and racist and Nazis so many times that people in general don't even care about that anymore. Yeah. No one is really afraid anymore to be called a racist in Sweden because everyone at some point has been called a racist. It's, I mean, uh, so I, the, the left, yeah. the left have what they can do now is start attacking each other. And we see that frequently now that they, they start to eat themselves like caged animals. And it's really horrible to, to watch, but it's kind of fun too. Well, Forgive me for being... It is interesting. It is what the Chinese would call interesting times. It is interesting times, yeah. So, Inter interesting times ahead in Sweden, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, Aaron. This will do me. nothing good for our currency. No, but no, still. No. <laughs> <laughs> for our careers. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Thank you for listening. My name is Aaron Flam, and my guest today was the brilliant Jens Gahnman. He can be found on Facebook. I myself can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and in 25 days or so, Facebook too. But mostly on my webpage, www.aaronflam.com, and in the podcast, Deconstructive Critique, Deconstructive Criticism, that is this podcast. There is material on YouTube as well, and some in English. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Your support makes my work possible. For how long? I don't know. So if you're not supporting this podcast at the moment, please log in to www.patreon.com, search for my name, that's Aaron Flam, and donate as much or as little as you want. The sum you donate will only be drawn from your account if I publish an episode. If you live in Sweden, you can also swish me at 0768943737, 0768943737. Or if you want something more tangible for your support, you can always go into my webpage www.aronflam.com and order a t-shirt with the text Crush Socialism on it. You can now get it in funeral black, which goes with most of your wardrobe to celebrate the death of social democracy and the birth of chaos and anarchy. Until next time, have a good unit of time and good luck. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.